0: At Seek Safely, it's our mission to empower seekers to have a safe and meaningful self-improvement journey.
1: Why do we care? Seeking to be your best self is an amazing, beautiful human impulse that has led us to create art, invent technology, tell amazing stories, and reach the moon.
0: But we saw the dark side of self-help in 2009 when a recklessly run self-improvement retreat led to the death of three people including my sister, Kirby
1: Brown. We want people to seek, to dream their big dreams and chase their beautiful goals, but we want to make sure they're safe along the way.
0: This podcast is about education and empowerment and getting real about the promises and problems of self-help.
1: We talk with people who understand and care about the self-help industry and everyone it touches.
0: I'm Jean Brown.
1: I'm Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle. And And this this is the the Seek Seek Safely Podcast. Podcast.
0: Welcome to the second episode of our Seek Safely Podcast. I guess it's technically number three because we went a little long on number one.
1: (laughs) Well, we had a lot to say. We did have a lot to say. (laughs) When, when when you get us talking about self help and kind of the extraordinary experience that that your family had, I mean the tragic experience, but you know, experience that not everybody has, we we had a lot to say. So welcome to our third episode of the Seek Safely podcast.
0: Yeah. So last week, that's exactly it. We covered kind of the origins of Seek Safely in the two thousand nine Sedona Sweat Lodge deaths, again, air quotes, sweat lodge, and as it happens, we just hit the 13th anniversary of that event, so that was October 8th, 2009, so yeah, it's pretty crazy that it was 13 years ago.
1: Does it feel like 13 years to you, like, as you think about it? Uh,
0: Yeah, you know, grief is a fickle thing, and sometimes it does feel like a lifetime ago, and then other times it hits fresh, so... But I, as I think I kind of intimated last time, for a long time, we were really, it felt like we were yelling into a void, trying to tell people that there were problems with this industry, and it felt like that, I'd say, for 11 years. And honestly, in the last two years, it has changed, and that really gives me hope, yeah, I think a lot a lot of people are starting to talk for a variety of reasons about what's happening with this industry and where the harm is and you know, where there's room for improvement, where there's <laughs> so stuff
1: to, so to so to speak, yeah, improvement.
0: and where there's stuff that just needs to go. Just needs to go.
1: Mm. <laughs> well, what what it makes me think of Gene when when you say that, that you know, man. Like in the last few years, it feels like even more people have become aware of the problems with the self help industry. It, it, it occurs to me that all of the problems were very present at the time that Sedona happened. Yeah, like the the, the industry hasn't changed in that way a whole lot, unfortunately. But my observation is that man, every time something tragic happens in the self-help slash personal improvement, slash wellness space, you know, it seems like there are a lot of people who are quick to kind of say, well, it's it's just that organization that's bad. Or that that guru is bad. Right? Like like so one of the things that you know has constantly surrounded the discussion of Sedona. Was well, okay, well, James Arthur Ray was a bad guy, right? Like like he was he was being irresponsible, and that's true. He was being irresponsible, and he is a bad guy. And I hope he's listening, because James, I that's that's my my feeling about you, friend. But it's also the case that like your mom points this out a lot. Like it's also the case that, you know, even though James Arthur Ray is a bad guy, or Keith Raniere is a bad guy. The, like these, these you know fraudsters—they are bad people. But the industry itself also creates opportunities for them to be really bad mm-hmm. guys, yeah. In some unique, in you know, some unique ways. So part of part of what that that change has been—it's—it's it's not the case that that boy, there are more bad guys around. I think that. As more and more publicity has surrounded cases like Nexium, mm-hmm. for example, and cases like Sedona have become more and more publicized and commonplace, you know, people are starting to realize hmm, maybe this isn't a problem with a few bad apples. Maybe this isn't a problem with gurus. Maybe this is an industry that creates opportunities for predatory gurus. Right.
0: And I think the perception of the victims in these circumstances has changed. So again, Mm. you know, after Sedona happened, we were kind of, we felt like we were battling this idea that all of the people who were there, all of the people who died kind of deserved it because they were stupid or naive. And I think people have really come to understand that The type of manipulation that happens is something that we're all vulnerable to. And we've started drawing connections between, for example, the way people are influenced by, like, irresponsible self-help actors is similar to the way that people who are in abusive relationships get sucked in and stay longer than they want to or longer than they should because of how they're influenced and manipulated. So... That has been really, like I said, it's been giving me hope that, as you're saying, the industry has still has so far to go to be better, but more people are coming to understand that it's not one-offs, it's not isolated incidents, it's not fringe groups, it's you know pretty much the whole across the whole industry, and it's not just a small number of people who are susceptible. it's pretty much anybody
1: a ah, big time, and I mean something that just leaps out at me kind of every time something like this, something like Sedona or something like Nexium, you know comes to the attention of a lot of people. The stories that are told are invariably told by very smart resilient, mm-hmm. tough, often attractive people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so thinking about Nexium. Like like I don't think of, for example, Sarah Edmondson and Nippy Ames and Mark Vicente. And I think, God, what a bunch of losers. No, exactly. No no wonder they were into self-help. Yeah. God. Yeah. Right. There there is a fascinating documentary that I highly recommend, titled Holy Hell. And it's the story of of it's one of these cult. Documentaries and 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 you know it's a guy who was essentially a, he was a dance instructor and, and a a meditation teacher a yoga teacher, but surrounded a, you know surrounded himself with a community that he called the Buddha field and and it lasted for a couple decades, and as it turns out he was sexually exploiting you know, a lot of his disciples and you know we've seen this story again and again but what strikes me about this documentary holy hell it's done by a director by the name of Will Allen. But the testimonials, like the people on camera who are talking about this experience, they're all like I you think they're amazing people. You know, like like one of them's a scientist and 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 and, you know, one of them's a you know, a therapist. And you know, same with you know, like like we've talked about the milieu of people at Spiritual Warrior. Mm -hmm. Like like these were not stupid loser people. No,
0: exactly. They were driven, they were motivated. And the reason they were there was because they were like self starters. They were the kind of people who said, you know what, I feel like I can do better at this thing. I'm already even successful in right now. I feel like I can do better. So I need, to, you know, they were looking for something to push themselves into that kind of next level. So, yeah, on that note, primarily what we wanted to talk about tonight was, since we're still starting out here, we want to get to know Dr. Glenn a little better. and uh, Yeah, you. You wanted
1: to get to know me?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, it's Aww. interesting because, like you mentioned, we did not know you back in 2009. Um, you're one of the few members of our board who is not personally connected to our family originally. Yeah, so yeah. you came to us because you had a very personal, strong interest in the self-help industry. So, yeah. And so I think we want to talk about that in the sense of, as we're saying, there, there's a lot that needs to be fixed in this industry, but we're not giving up on it because we feel there's also a lot of potential for this industry to do good. So, I think that we can, you know, talk about your interest in the industry a little bit to help illuminate that idea of the industry having potential to be a force of good in people's lives.
1: We we can talk about the self-help industry having potential for positive impact. And by the way, of the feedback that we get as an organization that seeks safely gets as an organization a consistent piece of feedback has been why on earth are you making recommendations for how people can safely do any kind of self-help work because the industry has shown that it is not responsible that it is not safe and and why are we even bothering to pretend that you can mm-hmm. seek safely right. in the in this industry in an industry that has proven to be predatory and my response to that is, is always kind of twofold. You know, my, my very practical response is, well, we are realistic enough to know that the self-help industry will always exist in some form. No matter how many tragedies happen, no matter how many people get scammed, no matter how many people have disappointing experiences, no matter how many gurus are exposed as creeps, self help will always be with us self help has always been with us actually you know i mean there there are you know what would be called self help you know books since the invention of 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 printing you know in fact some of the you know the some of the the books that spurred the spread of of the ability to read of literacy were self help books the the most famous and oldest self help book in a way is, is the Bible. <laughs> yep. Yeah,
0: that's what I was gonna say.
1: Right. Right. You know, that that that's you know, big big chunks. I mean, the Bible is a lot of things, right? Like it's it's history and its mythology and its theology and and, and you know, lots of really fascinating things. But a big part of the Bible is is what would you know kind of be called a proto self help book. It's it's recommendations for living. All of which is to say we're realistic enough to know that the industry will always be with us, and people will always be willing to and interested in you know, throwing money and bandwidth you know, at this industry. Yeah. So, so being realistic about that, you know, we need to know that, that at the very least, knowing that the industry will always be with us, and at the very least, we also want to be part of the conversation – a methodology a system for for you know engaging with you know this material and this industry and maybe be a little safer right
0: exactly right yeah as we say in our introduction seeking is like a very natural part of being human we are always looking for deeper meaning for the next thing, for the thing that's kind of under everything. Like, it's just part of who we are as a species. So, yeah, religion has for a long time played a part of that. But even, as you're saying, outside of religion, like, there's still always been this sort of mysticism and all these other elements of the ways that we try to understand the world and understand our place within it. So, yeah. Exactly, it's going to be here whether we want it or not, and so we might as well try to make it better.
1: Right. So that's always kind of the the first chunk of my answer to why are we bothering. The other answer that that I give is the more personal answer, and that's self help saved my life. Mm-hmm. And and when I say that, and and I've told, I've t- I've told this story in in long form on 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 other podcasts, but when I say that, I'm not speaking. Colloquially or metaphorically, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you know. I'm 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 saying that that I literally would not be alive if not for self help. Mm-hmm. So to understand that, I feel like we should do Wayne's World. We're going back into the past. <laughs> We're going to see the the Glen before he was Doctor Glenn, He was just Glen, and before I wanted to be a psychologist, I wanted to be a rock and roll star. Mm-hmm. Because I was told that that's how you get girls, <laughs> and I and and you got to understand. I grew up a weird kid. I was, you know, I, I was hard to be close to. I was hard to get to know. I now know, you know, that I was I was suffering on a number of levels. Like I now know that 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 boy, I was a pretty depressed kid. I was a pretty anxious kid. I was a kid who was growing up in a really complicated family with a really complicated father. Mm-hmm. I was also a kid who, who, you know, now it seems blindingly obvious. Anybody who's listened to me ramble on on these podcasts knows, boy, I'll bet you the guy has ADHD. I'll bet. <laughs> However, at the time, when I was a kid, that wasn't part of the conversation. What well, was part of the conversation when I was, boy, You do really well, young Glenn, on these standardized tests, but you don't happen to turn in your homework. You must be lazy. You must be disrespectful. You must be a bad guy. Right. So let's just say that by the time I was, eh, call it 15 or 16, my self-esteem had really, really kind of taken a beating. Mm -hmm. A combination of, as I say, a really complicated family and a really complicated, specifically, relationship with my dad – On top of the ADHD, the undiagnosed, untreated, unmanaged ADHD. On top of the fact that, again, I was a weird kid who was kind of difficult to be close to. Got quite bullied for years and years and years. By the time I was about, I'm going to call it 15, I was not really seeing many reasons to continue living. Desperately depressed. Pretty darn lonely. I hadn't yet fallen into the, the addiction behaviors that would be the hallmark of the next part of the journey. <laughs> the part two. Right? But the reason why I hadn't really been exposed to substances and behaviors of addiction was because I wasn't cool enough to be invited right. anywhere where I would be <laughs> exposed to these We're things. Going
0: to the parties, yeah.
1: Right? All of which is to say I was I was pretty bad off. For years I had seen Tony Robbins, the infomercials. Like so Tony Robbins, you know the king of self-help, was famous for his late night infomercials. And of course, when you're depressed, you don't sleep a whole lot. Right? So so I had lots of experience of, you know, like watching TV late, late, late into the night, and you would see these these Tony Robbins infomercials. And at the time he was hawking a tape program. It's mm-hmm. called Personal Power. Like we now, like now we, we recognize the Personal Power program by Tony Robbins as, as one of the classic self-help right. tropes. Right, It's a good program. I have several versions of it mm-hmm. just because I, cause I collect this stuff now, which I'll get into in a moment. But I couldn't afford a tape program. What I did know was that, man, I was every day kind of leaning more, you know, leaning more toward the side of I really don't want to be here. On the other hand, as most people who have struggled with suicidal thoughts and, and feelings and impulses can tell you, it's always kind of a tug of war, right? There's, there's always that part of you that, that you know, wants to stay. So here I am struggling with this, super, super lonely, really no one to really talk to about it. And I come across the Tony Robbins late night infomercials for personal power. And I get the thought in my head that, hmm, maybe this is maybe this is something. Maybe this is a thing. And this kind of goes to you know, like I often say there's a type of person who's into self-help. Like I never knew Kirby Brown, but I kinda get her because I think she and I are both self-help people. What I mean when I say that is, there's a type of person who like sees something, and instead of going "stupid," we kind of see something and go "huh, what if?" Yeah, yeah. Like, again, I, I I never knew your sister, but I, I just get the sense that she and I both had a lot of eh, maybe. Yeah, like, like you know.
0: <laughs> and it was also, you know, the sort of st- the idea that the kind of standard thing that everyone else was just fine with, you would kind of look at and go. Well, maybe there's something else,
1: yeah, yeah. you know, and, yeah, and, yeah.
0: and kind of just not being satisfied with the status quo, I think, was also part of it for her.
1: You bet. Yeah. Oh, you bet. Because that really played into what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I see this infomercial, right? And I have this, eh, Maybe what if? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. What if there's something here? Because it kind of solved a problem for me. And it goes to that status quo thing. I didn't feel able slash willing to go to a grown-up right. with, with what I was going through. I had, and this kind of backtracks a little bit onto my story, you know, something that had happened to me when I was a, a kid kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, was, I was sexually abused. Mm-hmm. And it took several years, as it does for most sexual abuse survivors, to disclose that that had happened which was also complicated by the fact that, again, I was kind of a weird, dramatic kid, and I kind of had this thought, hmm, if I tell anybody this, they're going to think it's just weird drama queen Glenn making up his weird... He probably saw it on TV. Yeah, it probably didn't happen to him. I had that thought. I really did. I thought, if I tell anybody about this, they're going to think it's just something I saw in a movie the right, week. Right. Anyway, I did disclose my abuse, and what happened was I was... Uh, <laughs> the response to it was two counseling sessions that i remember with different counselors <laughs> certainly nothing kind of ongoing certainly nothing that that really met my need what i now know so now i'm a i'm a psychologist who specializes in working with abuse victims i now know that what was offered to me was was not appropriate to what i was going through or what i needed so i had that experience of like this is what happens when you tell what happens when you're struggling and you tell you're going to get something that is not quite what you need and i don't blame anybody for that exactly like like it, it, it's not that i'm here you know you know mom and dad they should have known better and you know maybe they should have known better i don't know but the point is becoming aware that self help was a thing via the tony robbins infomercials like this is when i'm an adolescent now it solved that problem for me of, hmm, I, I have weird mixed negative feelings about about telling somebody about this. I don't want it to be another one of these things. I don't want it to be yet again, oh, God, Glenn's looking for attention again, <laughs> right? Yeah. So again, so that planted the seed that that self-help was a thing. So for my 16th birthday, I remember this very clearly. For my 16th birthday, I asked for, as a present, a self-help book. I, I I asked for "Unlimited Power" by Tony Robbins. It's his first book, and my parents, without batting an eyelash, got me this self-help book for my birthday <laughs> as a present. Right? Not didn't
0: ask we any didn't questions. Didn't connect any dots. But okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm literally suicidal in their house. But the but the truth is, I mean, think about what what it's like to be a a 16 year old weird, dramatic, depressed kid, and to be like, boy, yeah, you know, like it's, it's almost like you're trying to send up a flare. Here's your self-help book, kid. What that started, though, so I devoured the book. Unlimited Power is still one of my favorite self-help books. I now know that, that, that the, the author of Unlimited Power, I, I should couch this carefully because we're on a podcast now, may not have had completely original thoughts or even words, Right. Maybe. Yeah. I'm. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I've by now read a lot of self-help books, and a lot of it seems very similar to some other books. Right. But I devoured it, and I loved this idea. I loved this idea. Like part of Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins was 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 all about how to run your brain, and I loved that. That was a that was a, a metaphor that spoke to me. You know, you're, you're you're suffering not because there's something wrong with you, not because you're a weird dramatic kid, because you've been running your brain wrong. I loved that idea. Tony Robbins at the time was very big into a kind of a pseudo-scientific form of therapy called neuro-linguistic programming that you hear a lot. Like, if you're into self-help, you hear a lot about. If if you're into a pickup culture, like, you know the pickup artists, <laughs> yes. you, you you also hear a lot about neuro-linguistic programming. Interesting crossover in those cultures, by the way. We should really talk yeah, about that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but, Gene That's Gene has opinions That's voice, me
0: guys. And that's I have
1: thoughts <laughs> He has thoughts uh. Anyway But I loved that idea I loved this idea That that boy You could program Your, your neurons Differently Using language Neuro-linguistic programming It, it, it spoke to me of, of Kind of source code right. Stuff Right Right And the idea that That was a possibility Like it didn't turn my life around because cause, cause I quickly, you know, like I, I devoured that and, and then I went out and got got his other book, uh, Awaken the Giant Within, which I still think is a very helpful book in a lot of ways. Devoured these things. Didn't change my, uh, you know, didn't revolutionize my my life. You know, it's, it's a lot like when, you know, Scientologists read Dianetics and somehow they don't go clear. I didn't go clear. Oh, and I read that too, by the way. <laughs> Just by the by. I bought that my senior year of high school. <laughs> loud through Dianetics that was a week of my life I'm not getting back <laughs> but the very idea that there was this entire culture around improving the self and, and that it didn't involve going to counselors and it didn't involve going to therapists and it often drew upon wisdom and technology that uh, is not part of kind of mainstream therapy I mean I didn't really know because I didn't, you know didn't know much about psychology at the time but you know, for the next few years, I devoured self help material, and 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 it still makes me laugh. Like I don't know what my parents probably thought, because you know, like after so, you know, I got that self help book on my sixteenth birthday. Then I had a car; you could go, you, know, you could drive, you could go to the bookstores. I'm bringing back, like at thrift stores, you know, you could go and you could get, you know, these these old self help paperbacks, like from the seventies and eighties. For like a quarter a shot, and I would come back with like bags full of like, "I'm okay, you're okay," <laughs> right? <laughs> you know the the classics. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I still have a few Power of them on the on the book. Thinking. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I read the hell out of that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I read that my freshman year of of, of college.
0: So I'm I'm gonna like pause a minute and put a frame around this. So you know, I think one of the things that's so helpful about your story is that. This is a very common experience that people have. People are having some difficulty in their life, whether it's at the you know extreme level of suicidal ideations and like real, real, you know, strong depression. Or if it's just to the, you know, on a smaller scale, like, you know, looking for direction, of what kind of career I want or something like that. People have a need for some sort of direction and help. But for a variety of reasons, they don't go to more traditional or established sources. So you didn't feel comfortable asking you know, your parents for the kind of help that you might have needed by going to a psychologist or something like that. You felt that you needed to do it kind of on your own. This is why it's called self-help, because it is made easy to access Right, It's easy to access so that people can take it in on their own time by themselves to get the kind of help to fill that that sort of need that they feel that they have. So yeah, I think that's, like I said, that's one of the things that is kind of helpful about your story. It it explains part of the reason that people go seek out this self-help. The other things that should be there and available for them in their lives for whatever reason— aren't available to them. And so they take it upon themselves to fill that need.
1: Oh, you bet. You know, in my life now, I'm a, a, a trauma specialist. I'm a psychologist, a licensed psychologist, and I specialize in, in working with what's called complex trauma. And this is trauma. You know, we think of PTSD as, you know, car crashes or terrorist events or whatever, complex trauma is the type of trauma that that results from kind of years of, of abuse or betrayal or, you know, there's a very relational component to it. But one of the main things that we know about how complex trauma harms people is this, you know, what we call toxic shame. And it's this idea that the things that are wrong with you are very much not just even your fault, but they are you, Right. Toxic shame keeps people from seeking help. Toxic shame keeps people very isolated. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's what happens when, again, you grow up in, in complicated families. And something that probably would have led to, I mean, if we're honest, probably would have led to eventually my suicide, you know, is this sense of toxic shame. I can't reach out, I can't let anybody see what's wrong with me. No one will believe it. No one will care. Everyone, they will definitely blame me. What self-help does is, and what it did in my case, was kind of an end run around this this um, phenomenon of toxic shame. Because I remember having the explicit thought that, boy, if I read a book and I get better, no one has to know that I read the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm right like they can just think that i got better right and that's kind of the trap that that a lot of self help material kind of lays out for you like like if you're struggling with this sense of shame about the fact that you're struggling right like about the fact that you're depressed or unmotivated or unfocused or whatever if you're struggling with that sense of shame kind of seeking traditional mental or behavioral health care can can feel like a defeat. It can it can feel like this shameful thing of like okay, I had to kind of buckle down and go into a, see a shrink and whatever. What self help does is say you know what you can you can avoid that. Whether it's by reading books or going to seminars or you know like whatever, it's it's not therapy. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You're doing it on your own. It's personal development. And I fell hard into that. You now I, I I hesitate to even call it a trap because as I say, it kept me alive. Like something that we know about suicide, too. Here we're trying to talk about self-help when I keep dragging us <laughs> into this dark place of suicide, abuse, whatever. No, I, something that we know about the risk factors, the realistic risk factors for suicide is that hopelessness is this huge risk factor. In fact, it's the main risk factor. Like like, like, no hope, why bother, Right what self help did was for whatever reason you know in gave me that that thing to hold on to that maybe things can be better maybe and maybe not even like once i realized it was a whole genre beyond tony robbins it held out that possibility of hope maybe things can get better you know maybe even if this book doesn't do it maybe this book will
0: right and i think that brings up another point about self-help and again gets back to the idea of like why do we even bother for all its imperfections people still do get value out of self-help i mean tony robbins is actually a perfect example of this you end like thousands millions maybe of other people would say oh my god Tony Robbins is amazing (laughs) Tony Robbins is like I got so much from Tony Robbins however as you also mentioned you know some of his stuff is maybe a little bit derivative or has is is like rehashed from other sources and there are also we should note some abuse allegations against Tony Robbins I don't I don't think there have been any criminal charges but as we know it's you know it's pretty difficult sometimes for people to actually get to the point of criminal charges in these situations so I will say you know we don't know for certain but there have been the allegations we do also know some people who have worked with Tony Robbins and have raised some red flags about the way that the events are run and you know people have been harmed at his events so all of that can be true. And it can also be true that people have gotten value from Tony Robbins and people have been helped by his stuff, his material, his books and his seminars and his tapes. Like people have found it helpful. I mean, the same can be said of James Ray. James Ray killed four people, but other people will tell you that he had a positive impact on their life. And, you know, I don't want to deny that. We can't erase that that is true for people. And that is, again, another reason why there's a place for self-help and there's value in trying to just make it better and make it safer.
1: Hmm. So the, the point you're raising begs a really important distinction that, that, you know, I talk a lot. I talk about a lot when I write about self-help. It's this idea that, hmm, if all, like, we'll take Tony Robbins as an example, because for years I would have said Tony Robbins was a hero of mine. Tony Robbins, I mean, this, I don't know if I should say this on a podcast, you know, he, the, the, the fact that, that he was in my life through his books, I wouldn't be, I certainly wouldn't be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So if you derive any value from my work, like like, no, that you know, at, at the very uh, little bit, you owe kind of a you know a vote of thanks to Tony Robbins. But I often say that look, if Tony Robbins had been in everybody's life in the way that he was in my life, so I read his books, I, I consumed what material of his I could scrounge up. You know, I eventually did wind up purchasing kind of second and third hand. You know, the like, you know off of eBay you know, the personal power program, but I've never been to a Tony Robbins event. I mean, I never bought a package of, of coaching from any of his, of, of his trained coaches or whatnot. If Tony Robbins was in everybody's life, the way that he was in my life, I would be far less concerned about how he operates I say the same thing about James Arthur Ray, and we can start to get into this just a little bit. The very reason why I'm even involved with Seek Safely is because I was a James Arthur Ray fan. You know, just to, to, to contextualize this a bit. You know, the, the few years after I found self help and decided to not kill myself, you know, were really up and down. You know, I had some really rough years. Like, you know, I started college as a music major and got very depressed and dropped out which honestly is kind of in that rock star tradition I kind of <laughs> felt i was on the right trajectory
0: like god this is what i'm supposed to do anyway
1: can can you really be a rock star without getting too depressed to go to school and, and what? and i was doing you know what and I, and i was doing like the like, like i was playing piano and like i played piano at a department store like i was doing all i would have had an amazing origin story as a rock star <laughs> but i was still into the self help thing even at my at my lowest and and you know, by this point it was just kind of a, almost a joke or a cliche, that you know, my, my room was always full of of you know self-help. You know, from the very from kind of the unknown self-help people up to the, you know, the Tony Robbinses. And I finally hit upon a self-help resource that that made a, a significant difference. It was it was a self-help, a very popular self-help book titled Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns. And, and, and what it is, so David Burns is a psychiatrist and was close with Dr. Aaron Beck, who kind of devised what we now call cognitive therapy for depression. It's, it, it's now one of the very, you know, one of the most common and most validated via research techniques for, for working with depression and, and, and anxiety in particular. And so this book, Feeling Good, Again, it's a self help book. Like it's full of self, you know, self guided exercise. It's essentially cognitive therapy without the therapist. It blew my mind in such a way that, you know, it, it really helps me not just feel more hopeful, but actually be more functional. Once I hit that point, and this probably would have been around, you know, I dropped out of I dropped out of college, I kinda of been, you know, meandering through community college for a few years. Once I found this book, I'm like, "Boy, not only am I now you know together enough to 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 really do school, I think I want to do psychology because wow, this can really make a difference." And by this time, I'd also built up this encyclopedic knowledge of popular psychology, right? So I felt I had kind of a unique perspective. But Fast forward, like so, for years, like I continue to, like to this day, I continue to to keep track of the self help industry and 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 I read self help books. Like now, it's more kind of as a you know an interest in a hobby. I collect old self help crap. I do. Like something for 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 Christmas, my girlfriend gave me uh, the the personal power that the the Tony Robbins personal power program, the one that started it all, like <laughs> on CD. I'm like, do I even have a CD player anymore? This is amazing. So I collect like vintage self help stuff. Anyway, my interest in James Arthur Ray flowed out of like, my, just my general interest in self-help. You know, he was a big deal. And, and it would have been – th- I remember the bookstore I was in when I bought his, his book, Harmonic Wealth. I was doing my, my postdoc. I graduated from graduate school. I was not yet licensed. I was doing a postdoc placement in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And in 2008, it would have been. So right before, like, like right when James the Star was rising – I found Harmonic Wealth in in the Barnes and Noble in, in in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I'm like ooh, because he was really marketing himself as like Tony Robbins 2.0 mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, and he was coming at us with a resume that we now know was mostly invented. Right, like like, like he was he was coming at us like oh boy, you know I've I've been initiated into into the the, the shaman. I'm I, I'm a shaman. Through these various mystical traditions, and you know later on when it was investigated, I found out he really wasn't but that really appealed to me so i 'm like oh hmm, i I I'm, mentioned I'm you know'm I'm, I'm catholic i 'm always into like spooky mystical stuff <laughs> so anyway so so I got interested in, in, in and and james and I read his book, and it's an okay book, you know he had help writing it literally like like he i, I think it it's ghost written mm.
0: And well, and also, I think, you know, as many of the self help literature does, like a lot of it's not new. I mean, these people want to package it as if it's all their own original thoughts, but a lot of it is not. I mean, a lot of it is just the same kind of stuff that is back in all of these books that you've got in your collection there. Like, and you know what? That's okay. I mean, I think as long as you're giving credit where credit is due, it's okay to say I'm giving you these thoughts in a format and in, in a way that I think actually might be a little bit illuminating or might give you something a little different than you, you'd get from it in an, its original format. That's fine. Oh, There's bet. nothing wrong with that. So, yeah.
1: The, the metaphor of harmonic wealth itself is kind of, I, I don't know if you stole it from somewhere else. But the metaphor itself is pretty great. Like, like, like he talks about these various domains of our life. Like, like, I think his his domains. Like, he talks about like mental and spiritual and and financial and relationship and and physical. Those are probably I think those are his five. And the idea is that man, like all of these, need to be in harmony in in some way. Like, so if you think about a symphony, it's not that all the instruments play. You know, as loud as they can all the time. You know, sometimes you know some are louder and some are kind of at the forefront and some kind of back off, and then it comes back around, and 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 they weave a tapestry. I'm like, that's a wonderful metaphor. So if what he had done was just package old stuff in a way that no, here's a here's a new and interesting metaphor that could make this accessible to you, I agree with you. Like that would that in itself is is perhaps worth paying for. You know, uh, I I don't know if you do know this. Do do you know James's actual account of how he arrived at Harmonic Wealth? This will just take a second, but it's worth it.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: I agree with you. It would be one thing if a self-help guru like James was like, you know what, I I have a new way of thinking about this. Hear me out. James, however, claims that that this is not old stuff that he's just repackaging. He claims that he was on a pilgrimage – in the Holy Land, and he found himself on Mount Sinai, which you may remember from the Ten Commandments of the aforementioned Bible and the Charlton Heston movie. And he claims that he found. He says, it, "I swear to God, he says this with a straight face, that he found the the cave where Moses was, you know, supposedly received the Ten Commandments from God, and 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 he spent the night in that cave." and he awoke with the idea for for harmonic wealth like he claims that it was that it was visited upon him just as god gave moses the 10 commandments god gave james arthur ray harmonic wealth the reason why i and i, and I swear to god you can you can find his his account of this the reason why i'm i'm telling our audience this is because it's an example of you know what a lot of of gurus do they? They know they have to have an evocative origin story. A lot of them know that. Look, if they came around and and, and said, "Hmm, this stuff's been around for a while," fewer fewer people would pay for it. Yeah, anything, it's not right? as exciting. Yeah, it's not as exciting. And it's not as interesting. It doesn't kind of evoke that thought. Like, "Hmm, I'm being initiated into something right. into something secret and special here." Yeah,
0: I gotta say, I mean, I gotta give credit where credit is due like it takes some balls to it really <laughs> set does. yourself up like <laughs> some kind of biblical figure. <laughs> it's pretty amazing
1: <laughs> it's it's the kind of thing that I might say as a joke yeah like it's the kind of thing that I might write on my blog at useyourdamskills.com. I'm, I I might write, you know, hmm, I, I I arrived at this. You know, God gave this to yeah, me yeah. on Sinai. Red like, flag,
0: guys. <laughs> Biblical-sounding origin story.
1: <laughs> but we know, something we know about James is that, I mean, he does have a whole God complex going on but with the samurai. Yeah, game, yeah. He's, he's really- anyway, so, so I'm a James fan at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I have respect for how how the book was was kind of put together and 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 marketed and and whatever. And James himself was at the time was a god. He was a marketing machine. He was he was a, he was on Oprah. Yeah, twice. Twice.
0: That page about that episode is still up.
1: Is it really? Yeah, it is. Oh boy. <laughs> and and we and we've never heard hide nor hair from no, Oprah. Right? No. Mm. right, she's pl- you're plenty mad at James Frey. Not so mad at James Arthur Ray. Anyway. So, I wouldn't say that I was a, a follower of James, but this kind of fits with the thing that I said about Tony Robbins earlier. I, f- I feel that that if anybody had had the relationship with James and his material that I had, like I read a book and it was kind of interesting, and I feel that it, like if that's where it begins and ends. You know, self help doesn't have to necessarily be toxic. Right. You know, by that time, you know, by that time too, I also had a doctorate in clinical psychology, mm-hmm. and, and I also had some ideas of like, okay, so this is how this fits into what is known about therapy and recovery and psychology. So I had a little bit of perspective.
0: And so then, what happened? You know, what happened to your thoughts about James after Sedona?
1: <laughs> this is embarrassing. So I read about Sedona because it made the mainstream press. That's the, the the interesting thing about self-help is that it, it rarely makes the mainstream press. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless something terrible happens. Tony Robbins is is a little bit of an exception because you know he you know even before there were serious abuse allegations before Tony he was kind of a part of the American zeitgeist. People knew who he was, but you would be hard pressed to name, you know, five other self-help gurus, right? But this made the, you know, this this definitely made the, the mainstream press. So I, so I read about Sedona. I, I remember by, by this time, I, I was a licensed psychologist. And I was working my first kind of series of, of therapy, you know, therapist jobs. And I read about this, and I had the reaction. <laughs> your, your mom always laughs when I tell her this. I had the reaction of like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is such a bummer. Yeah. For the industry. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, like, 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 because you know, I heard about it and I thought, what an awful accident! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like we were talking last time, that was your reaction. Like, oh, yeah, what an awful accident. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to be such a bummer mm-hmm. because people are now going to use this as as an example right. of how terrible self help is, right. and 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 people like me who gain a get a lot of mileage out of self help. We're gonna gonna be on the defensive again. It's like, oh well, accidents happen, and you know, what you're gonna do? You take some risks. So I felt terrible. I felt terrible for James. Like, like, like he you know, here he is. He he gets hauled into court, and all he all he's trying to do is help people, and he, which is what he said by the way. He's like, oh, I was just trying to help people, and this is what I get. <laughs> so I felt bad, and and and, and he goes to jail. There he goes to prison. For a minute, um, he is convicted of negligent homicide, and I and I again I had the reaction of like oh, homicide, negligent homicide. He wasn't like maybe you know it was a mistake, it was an accident, it was a tragedy. You know, he wasn't trying to kill anybody. So I felt bad. Then about a year and a half later, James, because as we all know, James did not even serve two years for killing your sister, and he gets out. And what does James do promptly? He promptly, because he's so remorseful and because he feels so bad about having lost these people that he repeatedly says he was so close to, he feels so bad about what happened that he immediately returns to the self-help industry, starts promoting events, using the story of Sedona as kind of part of his redemption Mm -hmm. redemption arc as a marketing tool the
0: phoenix rising from the the
1: ashes phoenix rising from the ashes this tragedy that befell him Mm -hmm. so by this time i've been a psychologist for a few years i still feel a great debt to self-help culture for both saving my life and getting me interested in psychology i'm starting to kind of build a reputation as as a trauma specialist it wasn't what it is now but i was i was starting and he gets out of jail and i i friend him on facebook and i message him on facebook and i say james i don't know if you check these messages but i need you to know that you know, your work has meant a lot to me like i'm a psychologist partially because of guys like you you know someday i'd really love to do what you're doing in the sense of influencing lots of people and, and being out there so I'm, I'm so sorry this has happened to you like i was i was on that train like oh man it happened to him he gets back to me. and He says, "Oh, thank you, brother." I remember that he called me brother. Thank you, brother. He says, "Keep the faith," and 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 yeah, you know, we'll 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 carry on. And I write him back, and I said, "Yeah, hey, I, I will absolutely keep the faith." I said, "Yeah, you know, look, if you have any, by the way, if you have any career advice, you know, like like how to to wind up in a spot where I'm on Oprah and selling books and 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 whatnot, you know, I would love to, I would love to hear it." James responded by by trying to. <laughs> <laughs> by trying to sell me coaching services. So it went from, you know, thank you for your support while I'm in prison, brother, to, well, you know, like let's 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 talk about establishing a professional relationship. Now, mind you, there are plenty of psychologists and and and, and therapists and, and and others who who do make a living by by Doing supervision and mentoring and and whatnot, I don't want this to come off like I was mad that that he wouldn't for free, you know. You know, give me give me advice. I do think it's telling that again he's not out of jail, out of prison for but a minute, and and he's he's already trying really hard to be back in the industry in the way that he was. Yeah,
0: a lack of humility or.
1: Maybe <laughs> a lack of a lack of humility, a lack of awareness, remorse. Yeah, a lack of remorse. What really struck me, Gene, was you know, as I kind of watched how his post-prison identity evolved and unfolded, was that not only was there a remarkable lack of humility. I mean, look, I know that you know the work that I do as a psychologist, as a as, especially as a trauma psychologist. It's there are risks involved. There are emotional risks. You know, there's liability risks. I mean, there there are all sorts of risks. I know that if I ran a trauma group and people died, I would feel awful. I probably wouldn't be up to, be, to being a therapist anymore, on honestly. I can't imagine. I definitely wouldn't jump right back into the field and I definitely wouldn't as a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. Be using Use what that had event. happened. Yeah. Not not just because it's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's such a bad look, but think about, I know, I know, I don't have to tell you this, but think about how painful that has to be to, you know, the you know the, the survivors of not just Sedona, but the families of of the people who were lost. Yeah. Like, like, how insensitive and hurtful can you possibly be? So I started to get a stomachache. Yeah. <laughs> as I watched this all unfold. I watched, uh, you know, we mentioned a couple episodes ago, the, the documentary Enlighten Us. I know you're not a big fan. But that documentary, I think, was, was honestly kind of one of the turning points for me when it came to James Arthur Ray. Because it, it was very... By the way, James is thoroughly convinced that he comes off as awesome Mm -hmm. in this documentary. Mm -hmm. Like he really thinks it's his redemption story. I think when normal people watch it, they see a guy who is very willing to like, I mean, he's very driven. I will, I will never take that away from James, but he's very driven to be back in the industry, but he is perfectly willing to use any kind of foothold, including the story of Sedona. In a way that is that is pretty manipulative and hurtful, and I and I don't know if I would have been as appreciative of that had I not chosen as a psychologist to specialize in working with trauma. What happened to you guys was a trauma mm-hmm. by by any standard. Yeah, he was proceeding with his career in a way that was um, you know to, to to make a a overwhelming understatement was not trauma informed not particularly kind. So just as, as a psychologist, as a trauma specialist, as somebody who would like I was really starting to get a stomach ache. So uh, eventually, <laughs> you know, if you follow the story of James, as I had been, you know, you will, you will find Seek Safely. You'll find the story of the Brown family. You will, you will find interviews with, with Ginny Brown. I was kind of confused that, you know, here James was scrambling to reinvent himself. And homeboy was hustling. I will give him full credit. He was going. He was going on every podcast that he could possibly find. Like like, like he was um, really really scrambling to, you know, to rebuild that audience. And I found Seek's web presence. And 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 while your mom, who like like when when she talks about Sedona, it's it's so heartbreaking. And 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 and, I, and I've seen enough of it, kind of both in the public eye. But I mean. Now that I've been so close to your family for so many years, yeah, you know, I mean, I've I, I've witnessed kind of private moments where you know, man, it just it just it it's so sad and 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 it and it tears your heart out. But I also saw kind of the the reluctance to to speak directly to what James was doing now. You know, so so something that we talk about in trauma psychology is that it's not just about the past. You know, healing trauma is not just about revisiting the past and processing memories and, and whatnot it's also about what's like right here and now you know, so we encourage people to you know look even if you process your traumatic memories, you still need to get out of hurtful relationships now or abusive relationships and you know, what I saw happening was you know man you know when when you got into the you know the story of Kirby Brown, there was there was a lot of material about how hurtful it was in the past and, and what a great loss it was. But I saw almost nothing about the very big and real problem of James out there using this as a marketing tool and trying to be back in the industry, not having changed anything, right? So I contacted your mom. I, I, well, I contacted Seek. I didn't know it was your mom. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, look, I kind of explained who I was. So look, I'm a psychologist and I'm kind of a recovering James Arthur Ray fan. I'm a I'm a disillusioned James Arthur Ray fan. I said, "Do you do you know what he's up to?" And your mom sent me back your mom, who was on the other the other end of the seek safely information email. You know, sent me back an email to the tune of you know, look, we we really don't like to focus on that. Like you know, this is this is about more than this dude. She didn't say dude. It's about more than this guy. It's it's and it's about even more than you know than than our tragedy you know it's it's about this industry and I thought boy you know for the first time you know here's somebody who gets the fact that self help is like it, it's more than the actions of this bad dude and it's more than the scams and it's more than the charlatans. And it's something that you know, I think your mom and, and I think you as well, like, like you have this real appreciation for the fact that for as many problems as self-help has, it sparks something really special and specific in people like your sister and me, like people who, people who you love. So that's kind of in a roundabout sort of way. That's how I ended up on the right side <laughs> of the James Arthur. Now, funny postscript to this story. I was still Facebook friends with James. <laughs> <laughs> and it got to be kind of awkward, right? Because I'd, I'd become involved with Seek. Like, at, at first, I just kind of became involved as a booster and, you know, uh, eventually kind of getting to know your family and and, and whatnot. Like, you, you were nice enough to kind of invite me to be part of the board and, and, and now board president. But again, this was all very strange because at the same time, I was, I was connected on social media yeah, to the, the, the to James Arthur Ray,
0: whereas I had been blocked long ago,
1: <laughs> long ago, and that's so interesting too. He's you know he he makes such a big deal about you know I cared so much about these people, including Kirby Brown. They were my good friends.
0: Well, you know the behind the scenes to your story of your account of him going on like hustling after he got out of prison. Yeah, the behind the scenes is that he did all those interviews. We tried to do the interviews as well, but he would mm. not do an interview if they were also going to speak to us.
1: That's right. Yeah. So right. we
0: were actually, he went on Piers Morgan. We were set to go on Piers Morgan. I was like going to go downtown Toronto to a studio. A car was going to pick me up. And like hours before that happened, they told us that they had canceled us because... He wouldn't do it if we were if they were also talking to us. And that happened a number of times. It was just like the good outlets, not Piers Morgan, would then just talk to us and not talk to him. <laughs>
1: right. Because we would have
0: been happy to engage with him, but he never wanted to. And then when we pushed back, he got he got nasty. So yeah, that was that was that's just the behind the scenes.
1: He his behavior, I mean, I, I haven't examined him. As a psychologist, and so ethically I can't say here's what's going on with with, with, with Homeboy psychologically, but what I can say is that there there is a, a pattern of behavior that, you know, often the word narcissism is attached to, you know, where, where we talk about, man, when somebody is challenged and they get very, very hostile in response, you know, it, it's almost like a trauma, you know, like a fight trauma mm-hmm. reaction. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they think about certain types of narcissism is that it's it is kind of a trauma reaction, and 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 you know especially vulnerable narcissism. And he is, I I can't say I don't know if he's a vulnerable narcissist. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Look it up. Vulnerable narcissism. Anyway, that shocks me not.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That shocks me not at all because he would. What I started doing, because I'm mature, like this. What I started doing was like like he would post speaking of narcissistic behavior patterns like 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 he would post these Facebook statuses that wildly inflated his accomplishments, and by the way, mostly were just obviously made up like 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 he would you know say things like, "I remember when I was all broke." And I, you know, I, had to, you know, I had to borrow money from my mom to go to, to go to a self-help seminar because I knew the self-help seminar was going to help me. And it's clearly a pitch for people to do the same thing. It's clearly a pitch for like, man, if you can't afford the James Arthur Ray seminar, beg, borrow, and steal mm-hmm. and go to the self-help seminar. Yeah. And I would do things like pop into the comments and say, which seminar did you go to, mm-hmm, James? Mm-hmm. Well, what, that must have been some seminar. <laughs> if you're borrowing money from mom, like, tell us about that. Like he'd say, yeah, oh, "I spoke to X many millions of people on on the same dice. Like for for one of these things, he, his talking point was, "Oh, I was on the same event as Trump." I'm like, "What what event was that, James? Like you were the keynote? Like like how did that? The, the point being he eventually lost patience with me and and, and blocked me? But um, yeah, that was my my rite of passage as a as a true like you you even said it. You're like, ah, you're in the club now, yeah, you're in the, fa- you're in the <laughs> I'm family getting now, worked, yeah. yeah. Black by by James, we can we can kind of bring all this back around to the fact that you know like like my story, you know is is part of what makes the self help landscape both possible and complicated, mm-hmm. right? If it was a completely worthless industry, it wouldn't be. I don't know if it would continue to exist, but it certainly wouldn't be in the kind of financial heyday that it is right now. self help, fun fact: self help you know the, you can define it in various different ways and, and lord knows we've tried but it's one of the industries that did not contract during the pandemic mm-hmm. in fact there has been an explosion of of self-help self-improvement wellness influencers and since the so much of the world takes place online now you know folks james actually james is a perfect example James no longer has to get people to come to Vegas to do his events. He can charge a little less, not much less, but a little less and get people to, to zoom in yeah. for his events.
0: Yeah, it's an adaptable industry.
1: <laughs> you bet, yeah. right? So I don't know, self-help, if it was completely without value. I don't know if it would stop, stop existing. It certainly wouldn't be the billion-dollar industry that it is right, right now. Right, right. So we have to acknowledge that it, it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose in, in you know, not just keeping me alive, but directing my, my life and my career.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to kind of wrap it up, I, what I see is that your your impression that you got from my mom's response when you first reached out to Seek Safely, that here were people who were not trying to just attack the industry and say it was all bad. That really has been important to us throughout because we wanted to honor what Kirby was doing in Sedona, you know, and just saying, this is all shit. It's all a bunch of crap. It's all a bunch of garbage. That doesn't honor what she was trying to do. And so part of Seek has been trying to understand what that drive is in people and then how to make this industry safer for people and so yeah so we've been doing that by trying to empower and educate seekers by trying to work with people within the industry and also by trying to bring about some consumer protection self-help consumer protection legislation so yeah i think you know your impression really sums up (laughs) why we are seeking and not just throwing it all out
1: you bet. Yeah, but I think, you know, as, as your mom so often does, you know, she, she speaks just, just, just really, really articulately and, and eloquently to kind of the, the vibe that, that, that we think about, you know, when we think about, you know, seek safely. You know, it's, it's this idea that, you know, man, you know, seeking is this beautiful thing that we will always do. You know, that you, you can't keep humans from seeking what you know, what you can keep humans from doing, and I, and I wish I had her exact words because she again she has a whole kind of spiel she does about it. But she goes, you can't keep people from seeking. What you can do is, is keep them from seeking. You know, in places where they're they're blinded by their hope or their faith or their optimism or all these wonderful qualities that made Kirby Brown who she was. You know, they're the same qualities that in some ways, make us vulnerable, right? So if we can just, and, and I said, I remember once saying to your mom, you know, man, the key to seek's message is really that engaging with these principles of of safe seeking, you know, really being aware of the red flags, you know, really being aware of the four points of the compass, which we'll talk about in another episode. But, but really bringing these things into your, self-improvement journey. I said the, you know, the the key to Seek's message is is convincing folks that it will actually add value to your your self-help journey. We don't want that journey to end. We want it right. to go better. We want to add value exactly. to it.
0: Yeah. So thank you for sharing your story. We've always appreciated your perspective as you know a fan of self-help and not just a critic. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for sharing.
1: You're welcome and and I will kind of end this episode by expressing to to you as a as as a representative of the of the Brown family. I always feel honored to even be part of this story. Like like I feel that because again, like I was aware of the story and following the story long before I was a part of the story and 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 it's always just a privilege that you guys even allow me. You know to kind of to be to be part of this so i'm extraordinarily grateful to virginia brown and george brown and Jean brown for allowing me this opportunity
0: yeah all right well thank you for listening and um we are you know a new podcast so We ask you to, if you've enjoyed our episodes so far, please leave a review and share it with your friends, all the seekers in your life. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope that you have found it enlightening, and we'd be so, so grateful if you'd share it with the seekers in your life. We all know at least one, right? Until our next episode, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SeekSafely. Connect with Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle at Dr. Doyle Says. And me, Jean at Jean C. Brown on Twitter. Feel free to send us an email, info at seeksafely.org. To support Seek Safely, you can make a secure donation on our website, seeksafely.org donate. The Seek Safely podcast is produced by Citizens of Sound.